Uh, anyway, let's talk about um, the politics. Go, yeah, politics. <laughs> uh, we're gonna during during the elections. Oh, I should introduce John's here and uh, Bryce Edwards is here too. Sorry. Uh, good morning to you both. Good morning. Uh, Hi, Jamie. During the elections, the Greens made much about uh, Gorez Garamond's um, work prosecuting war criminals at the International Criminal Court, working for the UN, uh, and and you know it was never a secret. Uh, they were never hiding the fact um, that she also worked for defence councils as well, but they did, weren't exactly putting it out there. I mean, she'd done some interviews, she did an interview mm. with Vice, uh, she'd done another interview with somebody else as well, might have been the listener, I can't remember. Um, but the picture was painted uh, of a refugee fighting uh, oppression and genocide. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think they uh, fucked up. In this case, <laughs> put it bluntly. He's put it uh, <laughs> uh, I think if they had been open and transparent um, about this issue right from the start, I don't think it would have been a big deal. Uh, there might have been a few people who come out and said, "Hey, what's she defending uh, genocidal murderers for?" But I think that could have been explained away. That that's the role of a lawyer to both act as defence and mm-hmm. at times as a prosecutor. Um, and I, I think it would have been fine. But it appears as though, um, yeah. The Greens have possibly deliberately left out certain facts when talking about um, uh, Gorez Garaman's uh, work uh, as a lawyer, um, and certainly in terms of what they put up on their web page for her profile, they certainly um, did not mention that she had been part of defence teams. Um, um, and had defended uh, uh, people who were accused of genocidal acts or of inciting genocide. So um, they've now changed that profile, which I guess is a, you, you could argue is an admittance of guilt mm. to some degree on their mm. part. Um, and I think, yeah, it does look bad for the Greens. However, um, arguably, it, um, it's, it's also risky for the opposition to go for her throat because it might seem like the opposition is um, ganging up on a, a, a new, fresh M- who might um, yeah n- not know all the rigours of uh, how to deal as a as a politician in the political arena? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a confusing week. This story has gone on and on and on, and there's been swirling different allegations and different defences. And really, ironically, she's been on trial. She's yeah. you know yeah. about her being part of trials. So, and I, I think it's it's totally fine for politicians to be on trial and you know have their past looked into but the way I'd look at it is there's been two charges against her to clear things up I think there's been one allegation that she has been defending genocidal uh, war criminals yeah um, that's the first charge and the second charge is that she's not been entirely upfront about it and they're kind of quite they're separate they're connected but they're, they're separate um, charges and so on that first charge I would pronounce her as as not guilty mm-hmm. in the sense that, um, and I think that's the consensus that's kind of developed in this um, this debate, that sh- you know, people like Andrew Geddes, you know, law, academic, yeah. uh, and lots of others have come out and said, no, you, you need defence in these um, trials, just as you do with murder trials or anything else. So her doing that was is totally understandable. Yeah. Um, when she says that she's part of, um, you know, the war... Tr- crimes tribunal process yeah she's had to be defense and she's had to be prosecutor and there's nothing particularly wrong with um 
yeah, having to defend nasty people sometimes. Mm -hmm. She crossed, she possibly crossed the, the, the lines a bit and blurred things with those photos that she um, talk of her posing quite happily with, um, you know, one of these mass murderers. And, yeah. Um, so that was a bit, I think, um, beyond the pale a bit, but hardly a, a huge hanging offence. Um, so generally, I think not guilty on the charge of, you know, of doing something wrong in terms of defending uh, war criminals. The second charge is that she's been less than upfront that she's been, she's spun this, she's been misleading about it. And I think on that, she's a bit more guilty. Um, I mean, it's also not entirely black and white, but she, yeah, she clearly has um, accentuated the positive and yeah. eliminated the negative. And that's what politicians do. So it's not entirely surprising. It's like everybody and does it. Everyone though, right? does it. But it doesn't mean she gets off the hook, I don't think. We still have to call her on it and... Um, and more importantly, uh, call on the uh, Green Party. Critique the Green Party, mm. which, which the, the leadership, well, <laughs> either they didn't know about her acting as defence um, for people accused of genocide or inciting genocide, which, yeah, you would have to say that was incredibly naive on their part not to look at the details, especially when they were using this as an issue to promote her as a human rights campaigner, um, or they deliberately left out this information, which again um, is grounds to heavily critique the Greens. Yeah. I, I mean, and I'm, they're being a bit vague over yeah. this, what they knew beforehand. Yeah, I, I don't think there's necessarily a deliberate um, conspiracy here whereby they decided this is what we're going to do. Like I said, I think it's more of a natural a way that politicians, political parties, and spin doctors operate. That yeah. they they just decide, oh, we we won't mention that part, you know. And well, that's right. Um, if, and if that's a big deal or not, it's hard to say. But they, I think they certainly decided not to mention certain parts. There were times she did interviews where she did mention it. Yes. So it wasn't like yes, she was right. totally in denial about it. And um, you can find various parts where she's done interviews, talked about it. Mm. Um, but then when she gave her speech, her maiden speech in the house, yeah, the way she worded it each time was I think deliberately making sure that you know she wasn't putting that negative side forward about herself well if you're like say you're writing your CV yeah, you know, and and, and you, you put yourself forward in the best light, right? Mm -hmm. You get the job, you, but you know, I, I'm not trying to trivialise that and say this is the same as applying for a job at an office. But you're not going to say I was late this amount of times <laughs> uh, during my working career before I've applied for this job. No one puts the negative things. I down. guess that we expect a higher moral standard from politicians, and that they're being elected to represent. But they're us. also trying to be elected. Mm. You know, mm. and no no other politician's going to put down all their bad traits on, on yeah. the CV. And I fully understand it, but mm. I also understand the fact that the, she didn't hide away from it. She has mentioned it in the past. It's not mm. like a, if you want to find it, you're going to find it. And it's been found. But it is interesting that we are starting to apply these higher standards to MPs. And I, I personally think it's a good thing. And we had the situation with um, Jean Young, uh, the, the national MP. Mm. Which we had the yes. investigation on his, you know, quite dubious background in spy training schools in China, and questions about whether he still has some sort of loyalty and some role with the the Chinese um, state. But um, yeah, I, I think in recent years we have shifted to this position where we feel quite strongly about the integrity of politicians, and so if we find that they have misled or something's in their personal life that's not up to standard, we really do um, 
look down on that. Although there's a danger there, isn't there? There is a danger. If we start scrutinising MPs' personal lives too much and start expecting them to uh, have a, a high sort of moral uh, lifestyle that we wouldn't even expect of our friends or family, for example, that, you know, if an MP's been drunk at certain times and made a fool of themselves or they've mm. had affairs, etc., etc., I, I would still argue that we shouldn't be judging MPs on that basis. You'll never get a parliament. <laughs> You'll never have a parliament. Mm. You'll, you'd have to have a parliament of toddlers. Yes. <laughs> well, and at times. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly the case in America, especially with um, um, Republican um, politicians, that there's a very high moral standard placed on their their personal lifestyles. Um, a lot of that's got to do with uh, Repub- conservative Republican MPs who sort of push out a conservative moral agenda. Mm. And if it's found out that someone who's openly anti-gay is uh, actually playing around with guys in <laughs> toilets or something like that, which has strangely enough happened in several cases, As, yes, in uh, many more cases. common than you think, mm. uh, then um, yeah, that person will more than often have to resign. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't want to see that happen. No, I, I agree with all that, John, but I'd point out that there is actually a kind of parallel with the Gores Gorman situation here, that which I think it does explain why her opponents have gone so hard against her, is from their point of view at least, she has been up on her high horse. She has mm. been this crusading Wonder Woman, yeah. presenting herself as, mm. um, you know, the um, the enemy of all oppression, and um, and she does, you know, kind of take on her opponents, national, and kind of condemn them for mm. these moral failings of them. So I'm not surprised that they kind of see her as someone that's in a glass house. Would this be? Ha- would this have been as bad if not for that photo? Has that photo made this ten times worse? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think that photo has probably made it a hundred or a thousand times. Yeah. Because, yeah, she's saying my role as a human rights lawyer is at times to defend these people because that's part of the necessary process of getting justice and actually getting them put in prison. Mm. So even though I was defending these people, that was part of that process of seeking justice. But having a photo next to one of the defendants who, um, by all accounts, she knew uh, had um, incited genocide. So this particular person was a pop singer from Rwanda who had um, put out songs calling for um, the mass murder of Hutu people. Mm. Um, yeah, having her with a smiley face next to this person is, yeah, shows either naivety on her part or was she trying to use it as, apparently she had posted this stuff on Facebook or um, put this out herself, was she using this to sort of I guess the accusation was she using this photo to further her career saying I've been a a big time lawyer for a big time client it's it's arguable Mm. and it's questionable but um, yeah yeah, well, when it comes down to what she's actually done, I mean, she's she's a lawyer, right? So she's mm. someone that believes in the law, and if you believe in law, you got to believe in the process. That's right. So, mm. like I say, I don't think she's guilty of that um, that charge. But I, I saw an interesting parallel or anecdotal or, um, that another blogger made and said, "Hey, that's all fine being a defence lawyer, but what say if you take an example, say with the Clayton Weatherston trial here, mm. um, you know, in Dunedin? What say the lawyers that defended um, him um, then posted selfies of um, <laughs> themselves smiling with Clayton Weatherston, and mm. um, and then somehow, you know, in their um, uh, you know, ran for Parliament and said, "Oh yes, I was part of the prosecution of Clayton Weatherston," you know. Um, do you know what I mean? And yeah. That would, would mm. sort of think, oh, hey, you weren't part of the prosecution. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. You were bloody defending him and posting selfies. <laughs> I mean, I mean, does, does her client did he have blood on his hands? Uh, yeah, certainly she was uh, uh, involved with. Well, yeah. 
one of her clients was um, uh, accused of genocide, but died before he was um, could be convicted of genocide. Was it poison? Was it? No, not in this case. And the other client, um, yeah, um, certainly used songs to incite uh, genocide and Mm. was found guilty. Mm. So yeah, there's no doubt. Or um, I don't think she's uh, saying that these people weren't horrendous, horrible people. Um, On on the question, I, I guess it's a wider sort of philosophical, moral question, but as a lawyer, um, uh, are you expected to actually believe in the law and believe in the processes of law and therefore play the role of either prosecutor or defence when you um, play a part in a, a role where you know your actions could actually lead to a lack of justice or injustice? And there, there are people who, um, you know, human rights activists or uh, people, say, um, who are radical anti-establishment figures who become lawyers for very much the reason that in that they don't believe in the legal process. They think it's a, a, a corrupt and an equal process. So um, there, there would be uh, activist lawyers who would refuse to take on cases like this, for example. It's, it's not as clear-cut as, okay. say, Andrew Guinness is making it out or the Law Society is making it out. There certainly are activist lawyers who say, <coughs> for example, um, there's Maori activist lawyers in New Zealand who have become lawyers because they think um, our justice system is a colonial one yeah. It's unjust to Māori, and, and they, have, they have got involved in the, the law purely to defend the interests of Māori. One, one would expect, yeah. though, with, with the International Criminal, Court, Criminal Courts, there's going to be a pool of lawyers, mm. and they're going to go around from case to case and be put on this team or put on that team, and maybe she didn't even have a choice. Although she did volunteer. She did volunteer. <laughs> yeah, she did volunteer. Uh, and she, you know, she was young then. Will this hurt the Greens? Will this hurt the Greens? I, I think it. I think it could. Uh, it's knocked some of the sort of uh, the gleam uh, off Gores, certainly. Um, but I guess the uh, yeah. I guess I've, now that they've been confronted with contradictions in her statements and contradictions with how the Greens were profiling her, um, I think they've they've handled that situation reasonably well. Um, and also, as I said, it, it could also hurt the opposition if they keep relentlessly going at her yeah. over the next few months or even years. I think that just looks like the that will look like they're being bullying yeah. towards her. So the the opposition, national etc., has to be quite careful how they handle this as well. Yeah, I tend to think that amongst supporters of the Greens or those even you know, maybe considering voting the Greens it probably won't hurt them, no um, like I said, I, I think she's innocent of that charge of you know the main mm. one yeah. So, and people have rallied behind her, it's polarised things and yeah, I, I think a lot of people are standing in her corner fighting for her Mm-hmm. I wonder, yeah, well, I wonder what Guy Williams would have to say about this. <laughs> He's, oh, oh. No, he has actually been on Twitter fighting yeah. her case quite yeah. strongly. Yeah, I, I bet he has, I bet he has. Um, well, let's move on. Um, oh, Winnie, uh, he opened his mouth, and, you know, when he does, he usually um, says silly shit or, or the wrong thing. Actually, no, he's quite an astute man, and I shouldn't say that. He's actually quite brilliant. Um, but he, he opened his mouth about some coalition documents, um, and now National, and especially the media, they want to see it. They want to see what's in these pages, um, how it was all set out, what the plan was from the beginning. Um, Labour is saying, no, these were notes, these aren't really formal government documents, we don't have to release them. Should they release them? Probably not. Um, I've changed my tune on this. I was one of the people early on saying that, yes, this is outrageous, the government should be releasing it. I think 
and other people have as well on the basis of yeah, how Winston Peters portrayed this document at the start. So when the government was announced, he said, here's the coalition agreement between Labour and New Zealand First. It's eight pages long. We have also made an appendum to that, which is 38 pages long, and that um, deals with directives to ministers. And it made it sound like um, it was an official document about how the government will operate. But it sounds like he might have been a bit, uh, yeah, off, um, off, off beam on that. Mm-hmm. And um, we've since heard that it's probably a bit more about the negotiations and what Labour and New Zealand First agreed upon and didn't agree upon. And it was when they were just parliamentarians rather than mm. a government. So, uh, and so Labour's arguing that it's not something to do with government. It's something to do with the, between the two parties, and therefore it doesn't apply under the Official Information Act, and they're possibly quite correct. But nonetheless, um, the journalists that have been asking for it, they've had it um, refused. They're now throwing that over to the Ombudsman's Office, who is the you know official umpire of these things. Yes. And I think that person um, will probably re- look at it properly and we c- can have some confidence that they'll come to the correct conclusion. Because l- recently they have been coming out with some pretty good um, decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one, uh, difficult, because we have to remember as political parties, or certain political parties, are now part of the gov- government process uh, in, in terms of um, enacting laws and making decisions over our lives. So we want as much transparency as possible in terms of what political parties are getting to, getting up to, what are discussions between uh, cabinet ministers, etc., etc. However, political parties are also private Organisations yeah. um, and and uh, should be able to, in my view, uh, make decisions and have discussions that um, don't have to be um, released to the public or the media at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be uh, if we expected yeah political parties to devolve everything about what they're getting up to uh, to the public and the media, then that would be uh, in a sense a real blow to democracy. Yeah, um, because people should be able to have private discussions and, and, and strategize and discuss policy and, and feel like uh, in a private situation they can be candid with yeah. their colleagues mm-hmm. um, and, and, and then come to collective decisions which they then put out to the public. So it's not clear cut saying that everything should be revealed that political parties do. Yeah, I mean, but, but, oh, sorry, but yeah, I guess that's all true. But it's it's the context that I think is important in this regard that. There is this um, unhappiness with governments being so opaque in recent years mm. and uh, abusing, in my view, the Official Information Act. And so there is a bit of pressure on the government, this new government, to be different from previous governments and to be more open. And we've got Claire Curran, who's you know, pretty much the, the Minister for Open Government, and um, people are wanting her to have high standards from the start, and it's not clear that she's living up to those high standards at this stage. Um, you know, what would what would it do to the process of forming a coalition? You know, if they had to be so open and transparent in their talks before you became a government, would that make negotiations harder? I think so. Yes, uh, I think uh, um, if literally you could do that, if you could uh, force 
political parties to devolve uh, uh, verbal discussions, written discussions, etc. I'm not sure how you do that. Say legally, you said they had to tape all mm-hmm. discussions and then release them to the public. It would lead to uh, politicians and, and and people employed in that negotiation process to um, keep their mouth shut, really, yeah. over a lot of issues. Uh, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't have a, a candid, open uh, thrashing out of issues uh, between different parties and, and different politicians. Um, however, when, when there are uh, official documents ma- uh, made and printed and, and, and documents that are going to determine how um, ministers act, uh, how the political parties act, etc., then, yeah, I think there's a very strong argument that the uh, party should have to release such doc- documents. Mm-hmm. Is, is there an issue with the Information Act, the Official Information Act? Is, is there a problem with that, or is there a problem in the way it's been interpreted? Yeah, that's the big question, because there's a lot of us unhappy about it. Journalists, um, academics are complaining a lot in recent years about the Official Information Act being abused. And there clearly is a problem, but is it a problem with the Act, or is it a problem with just how the government is observing, adhering to the Act? It seems there's a growing debate that suggests it's more just with the observance of it um, that the act itself doesn't necessarily need reform but maybe in terms of penalties for abuse of it there might need to be some something greater uh, so that maybe government departments politicians that are found to be um, yeah abusing it need to have a stronger sort of disincentives for doing so um, I mean there's definitely a problem with it that governments are abusing it they're using it for I mean that's really what we saw in Dirty Politics Nikki Hager's book that just showed how the Official Information Act was um, they were you know using it to get out information to their friends very quickly yeah um, but mm. then holding things back so yeah, uh, yeah there yeah. are some problems. So the yeah. yeah, wow and the like were getting yeah. things all the time, whatever they asked well, for. Well, people in the Prime Minister's office was, were going to um, Cameron Slater and say, "Hey, there's this information we've got. We just need someone to um, request it. Yeah, um, here's what you should be requesting, and then we'll give it to you." That's shocking. Yeah, that's mm. absolutely shocking. Um, and then, how do they have the ability to hold things back when people are asking for it? Is it? Is well, it there's a certain time period, and, and John Key, um, uh, in the past, admitted that uh, if if they there were certain um, documents and information that they would leave to the very last minute to release, yeah. uh, hold it back as long as they could if it was in the interests of the government and the national party. He was very honest. About yeah, that. He he said, was yes, very honest. it's in yeah. our interest to hold that back. Yeah. <laughs> and in a sense, he can do that because. If there's a certain, certain time period, uh, then they can leave it to the last minute. But I guess you could say, should you have laws and regulations in place that it's, it shows that the government or, or parliamentary staff aren't acting in good faith in, in handing over information which they know they're legally required to and favouring certain parties in hope um, handing over information, such as the case of whale oil, Cameron mm. Slater, should there be penalties and um, the potential for prosecution in such cases. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's been requested and it's been deemed like it can be released, then mm. it should be released instantaneously, shouldn't it? I mean, mm. why, why, why do they have the, a time limit? Oh, I mean, sometimes information's very hard to collate, I guess, you know. Someone asks for something really tricky. We want all the details of... Jamie, Jamie's guests oh, over the last 10 years. Um, 
um, you know, and the the, out, the you know how many minutes they spent on air, you know, yeah, you do have to still compile that and put yeah. it together. It might take twenty days, yeah, um, and or it might be too hard to do. In which case, they say no. Look, this is you know too much. It's going to take us much too much time, and that's the that's what they do say sometimes. And sometimes it might be reasonable. Sometimes not. Yeah. Well, can can you not have a team from uh, the ombudsman that goes in and does this work themselves instead of having the actual parties do the work? Or is there too much sensitive information in there that shouldn't? Yeah, good question. No, I, I don't know the answer to like that. A, yeah, but partial body. But no, I think I think they need the, the the officials that have their hands on the information to be doing the retrieving of it. But those officials, the the problem is at the moment, um, you know, they're public servants. So yeah, yeah. in theory, yes, they're not. Um, they 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 are going to be freely giving it out, um, and. But the argument is that they've become too cartelling to the ministers, yeah, and that they, um, especially with this no surprises rule, which um, in recent years governments have put forward, which say that um, those government officials need to tell the government if there's anything embarrassing that might happen, which sounds reasonable. Mm. Um, no, we want to know if anything um, bad is being released under the Official Information Act, um, and that kind of sounds reasonable. But then it becomes those officials checking with the government first before they release anything saying hey is it okay if we release this yeah because we don't want to embarrass you yeah yeah and yeah, that's yeah. wrong i think okay so um okay so a review needs to be done do you think yeah. that this government will do that claire curran so this is the minister responsible and she has made noises about doing making reviews yeah so it could happen i think in the end the problem is that in opposition political parties are always keen on more openness from government you know because that's their natural mm-hmm. um, inclination and then when they get into government they suddenly think oh actually maybe we don't want things so open it will disadvantage us and it will give um, ammunition to our opponents in the media and the opposition um, so they become less keen on those reviews mm-hmm. so we need to probably put keep some pressure on the likes of Claire Curran and the government to carry things out and, and do what's right yeah, and I'm sure you will. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> However, the fact that the government's got such a slim um, majority means that, for example, if the Greens uh, uh, backed um, National's campaign in, in, in terms of more openness and, and called for um, new rules and regulations, then that could quite easily happen. <laughs> it's just funny that they're the party that's asking for it. Yeah, but we've seen a lot of hypocrisy from that party since they um, became yeah. the opposition anyway, um, especially around this 26 week. Um, you know, oh no, you're going to make it, you know, you're going to yes. make it, oh yeah, we some, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we have to leave it there. Um, we've run out of time, but thank you all for coming in. Um, yeah, I just want to ask you one, one personal question, yay or nay, uh, genocide denier? No, from me. No. Yes, no, from me too. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Good to see you, Bryce. Always a pleasure. Good stuff. Thank you, John. Okay. Uh, okay.